Hi, I'm Kim Fisher with ABC4 Utah, and you're listening to KU Radio. Hi, this is Sabrina Fulton, the mother of Trayvon Martin, and you're listening to KU Radio. From the Purple Mountains and the Valley of Smoke, this is All Ute Radio. This is Rebecca from All Ute Radio. Tune in to hear the show live every Tuesday night from 6 to 9 p.m. Or catch the show on demand at KUteRadio.org. Welcome back to All Ute Radio on KU Internet Radio. In with us in studio is Suzette Smith. Am I saying that right? Seems easy enough. With um, spokesperson with the Ordained Women Group. How are you? Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for coming in. We're excited. We've been looking forward to this one for like the last couple weeks. Good. You want to tell us just a little bit about yourself? About me personally? Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My name is Suzette. I live in Alexandria, Virginia, which is near Washington, D.C. And I'm out this week uh, working and um, seeing family and also participating in um, ordained women events. Great. We've got a conference coming up this weekend, so I'm sure. What is the goal of the ordained women? Well, as the name would suggest, um, we are looking to ask questions about the ordination of women in the Mormon faith and the LDS faith. We see that um, women in the church could um, really reach their reach their potential by members of the mainstream church looking at women, looking at their visibility, and um, questioning what can be done to uh, allow women to use their gifts and reach their potential, and the church, therefore, would be able to use its gifts better. And we think that the ordination would be a great way to look at that, to do that. So we're asking our church leaders to pray about this so that we can have further light and knowledge on the question of ordination. It hasn't been received well by many LDS (laughs) members, correct? That is true, yes. We have many supporters and we have many people that that don't look ca- kindly on um, us questioning about the ordination of women. They feel that um, women should not be ordained, that they have other roles in the church, and that men are meant to be ordained. And um, some of them have been unkind. And we have not heard from the church leaders themselves, so I'm not sure how they feel about it. But um, Gordon Hinckley chimed in to it, I believe, in 1997, saying that there is room for women to gain priesthood, but it's never been something that that the members of the church have wanted. Is that correct? There was an interview that President Hinckley did. You're you're correct. And that has been interpreted in different ways. But um, the way we like to think of it is that he was asked, you know, why aren't women in your church ordained? And he said they're happy with the roles they have and there's no agitation for for that. And so we feel like we're now saying, well, we this is important. And we're agitating. And this is in a faithful way. And um, this is important to us. Why is it important to you? To me personally? Well, if I think you're a spokeswoman yes. for LDS women who want to, and if it's not even about them personally, but for future women to have the ability to be ordained as a priest. Mm-hmm. Why? Priesthood has two, two pieces to it, or I'll speak about it in two pieces. One is uh, the priesthood, through priesthood keys, the church, uh, the Mormon LDS church, 
is run administratively. So the bishops, stake presidents, um, Quorum of the Twelve, all of those men have priesthood keys and then they administer the church. And there are no women that are involved with the administration of the church. And so we see the church being stronger if it's being administered by men and women together. And that would require priesthood keys. Um, also, priesthood performs saving ordinances and also gives blessings. And so women um, partake in those blessings, but they do not administer the saving ordinances, nor do they give blessings. And we hear all the time from our male counterparts how important that is in their lives and how changing that is for them to be able to administer in that way. And we would like those same opportunities, and we feel that women would like to use their spiritual gifts and minister in those ways with the saving ordinances. I think, too, a lot of people get kind of put off by the idea because they're not used to it. But even looking back into church history, back, what, early 1900s, women performed in healing ceremonies and different um, laying on of hands and things that were completely in practice and different prophets, I mean, almost endorsed those things, allowed for women to be doing things like that. And now it's become a little less accepted, I guess, which is silly in my opinion, because it's not something that's always been, uh, women cannot do these things. It seems to be something that's kind of been separated a little more as time's gone by. Mm -hmm. Well, there are um, different ways in which people view uh, Joseph Smith when he set up the Relief Society and there's certainly evidence that would point to that um, that he intended to set up the Relief Society as a quorum of the priesthood for women and and certainly uh, women did perform blessings blessings of the sick blessings of healing and um, pr- for a long time they did anointings for women who were about to give birth and those are no longer commonplace they're not allowed yeah So I come from an Orthodox Jewish family, (laughs) and I've seen a lot of sexism in Judaism. For instance, when you're in shul, or as they say, synagogue, the men and women are divided. So on the right hand, on the left hand side, the men pray. Then there's either a curtain or some type of divide between the women. So they're on the other side. The reason why that they say that this is appropriate is so that the man's mind doesn't wander during prayer because of sexual urges. When women are on their menstrual cycle and they're married, they either sleep in a different room than their husband, or they actually are, most uh, Orthodox Jewish families have combined beds, like twin beds joined together. When they're on their menstrual cycle, they're separated so that the man doesn't become unclean. During coitus, they put a sheet over the woman. So from a certain perspective, there are inherent, there's sexism involved, where women are seen as inferior, as unclean. Knowing that Mormonism takes a lot of its root from Judaism, is that the same feeling about not having women in priesthood? Um, Because that they're not as holy or revered as a man in God's eye. I think the church would say that, or many members of the church, and, and, and that men and women are equal in the eyes of God. And that's certainly how I feel about it. Yeah. There is a divide. I, I think that if you asked many people in the church, they would say that women are more spiritual than men. Um, that's not a train of thought that I appreciate because I feel like that's still a separation. So whether a woman is more spiritual or more holy or a man is, 
there's still a separation between the two. And um, myself and the women in Ordained Women feel like they should be together. They shouldn't be separated by a sheet or, or anything else, but they should be working together. Um, and a pedestal or a sheet or anything else mm-hmm. would be a divide between the two. And so that's not how we would like to see things. When you're speaking first, you mentioned visibility in the church. A lot of, at least what I've heard, even just from like my own personal Facebook and other like news sites is that a lot of people, I mean, some people say that they are like somewhat understanding of ordained women and what they're doing and kind of agree, but that they disagree with different ways that ordained women is gaining visibility or like standing at um, priesthood session or um, I don't want to say protesting. What's a better word? Doing an action. Yeah. (laughs) Doing something at those, especially where in that press release thing where they asked um, ordained women and the like not to do that. Uh, What is your feeling on like why it's important for you as an organization to stand there and be visible when even the church asks you not to be in that media's eye in that way? We certainly have um, received criticism from people who have not appreciated our being in the public, especially on Temple Square, and I know there are people who consider, myself included, who consider conference a sacred time, and that this is disruptive to that sacred space. And I can appreciate what they're what they're saying, and how they feel, but we do feel really strongly that we need to ask, and that we need to be present to ask. We have sent letters, and we haven't heard anything, and so this is our way of putting ourselves in a space where we know our prophet is there. We know the Quorum of the Twelve is there. We know that they can see us, and they can see that we're sincere about wanting to be a part of the priesthood, about wanting them to pray for us, and we've taken our bodies and put them in that place so we can say, we're here, and we're asking, we're asking you to ask with us, and we want to come to the priesthood session and be a part of this with our brothers. And we certainly don't have a problem with single gendered space because there are single gendered space but this is a priesthood space and so that's what makes it meaningful for us to be there particularly is it hard to be in a congregation where there is a where women can't you know there's a glass ceiling for women for you as a person that has faith in the LDS belief system, is it hard for you to always stay motivated and faithful to God since you're in that glass ceiling? Being uh, being a part of the church, uh, I'm not sure. I, I have a lot of great male leaders in my congregation back in Alexandria um, who have been um, full of care and benevolence um, towards me and towards the whole ward. I would like to see my female leaders, my Relief Society present, my stake Relief Society present in more visible spaces, on the stand and speaking more and praying more and hear their voices. I think that having the voice of the woman from the podium, from it helps everybody. It makes everyone stronger. But I wouldn't want to lose the male voices either. So sometimes it's hard because you want to see those female voices or see their presence more. But it's a good place to be. I stay in the church and in my congregation because it's it's a really great place to be. And I'm a believer. So I like being there. Yeah. In Judaism, there's it's a very it's a much older religion than than LDS is. And so in this modern world, we've seen female rabbis mm-hmm. um, they're called their their sex their organizations are considered a reformism of Judaism but if you ask an orthodox man or woman 
they will say that's not Jewry. That's not part of Judaism. It's accepted. It's embraced, but it is not recognized. Do you have that feeling that if women start getting their own temples, um, their their own congregations, that they they're not going to be an FLDS, but they're going to be another offshoot mm-hmm. of the LDS religion? I think if uh, women became ordained without without a revelation from God through the prophet, that that would be considered an offshoot. And uh, we very much support the prophet and feel part of the mainstream, and we would want to be women to be ordained in the open and not... I know Catholics, for example, have had women ordained sort of rogue priests or nuns that have done that, and they're considered not part of the Catholic Church. And if that were to happen in Mormonism, I think that they would not be considered part of... It'd be blasphemous, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they would be something different. In 1978, there was a revelation by the prophet then that African-American men were allowed to be part of the priesthood. So that, I don't know if it's a correct uh, comparison, but a lot of bloggers and a lot of news articles kind of are tying your movement with the African-American experience with the LDS. Is is that a fair shoot? Can you guide us in the comparisons, the non-comparisons? It's not an exact comparison, um, for sure, but I think there are some commonalities. Uh, a couple things I would point out is that the priesthood is continually expanding. There was a time in the Old Testament when only the Levites had priesthood, and then yeah. when Christ came, the, all of um, the Jewish people had priesthood, and then, of course, the Gentiles had priesthood in 1978, as you mentioned, black men have priesthood, and I think that having women having priesthood would be a further expansion of the priesthood, but it certainly would need to come through revelation similar to that that came in 1978 as a revelation. But because this is a true church, it's a dynamic, growing, open church, and um, in our scriptures, it says that we believe all that God has revealed, and we believe that God will yet reveal many great things. And so we are hopeful that this is one of those revelations that will come as the fullness of times continues to unfold. Would this, the ordaining for women in the LDS Church, would it be for strictly an American Western Hemisphere, or is this a worldwide campaign? It's a worldwide church, and it's a worldwide gospel, so um, we see this as something that would impact the whole church. We don't have as many supporters in different parts of the world as we do in the United States, but we do have certainly some, and we reach out to anyone who's interested in other parts of the world that would, that's, you know, the idea of women's ordination resonates with them. We'd love to have their profiles and have them join us. In a lot of the world, if women feel devalued in this society, in American culture, you can times it by 10 in many, many different cultures where women really have look, you know, up to men and are forced into submission by them. I would find it interesting that you would have an ordained priest in the Philippines or Mm -hmm. in Papua New Guinea. Is that something that you are all trying to work on together, not just, or are you waiting to build the rules and that once it gets accepted by, by the LDS church? I'm not familiar enough with how the church operates in other parts of the world to speak to that really well, but I can say that we are really interested in hearing from women from other cultures and hearing what their experience is and knowing more about that so we can encapsulate them within ordained women. But I couldn't speak really much mm-hmm. further. What is, so there's obviously a lot of opposition uh, <laughs> pretty publicly yes. about, and a lot of support too that I've read at least. I support it. 
personally. What is one of the bigger maybe misconceptions that people have about what you're trying to do or are misinformed in a way that turns them off mm-hmm. to what ordained women wants? I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that people think that because we think that women having the priesthood or being ordained would be a good idea, that we want women to be like men, that we want to create a, everyone the same, like the sexes become the same. And so that puts them off and they say, well, I don't want to be a man. I don't want to be like a man. And we're not saying that we want to be men. We're saying that we want to discuss priesthood and priesthood is above gender. It transcends gender. And so we don't want to be men. We don't want to be like men. We can still see a space for same gendered meetings and same gendered quorums. But, um, but we want to be women and we want to be women with priesthood power. And so that's one thing I think that is misconceived, but we do see um, a lot of uh, good things coming out of the dynamic between men and women, but that doesn't mean that men can't continue to have priesthood and women can't join them in that priesthood. Some people say that it's not the right or duty of a woman to gain priesthood. I mean, that that's really the fundamentalist line, right? What, what do you say to that? Well, I would say that we're all children of God, mm-hmm. and to me, priesthood is God's gift to us um, so that we can learn to be like him, and both men and women need that. Another argument that or, that people feel negatively is that we don't revere motherhood because they see motherhood as the counterbalance of priesthood. And we certainly, many people involved with uh, ordained women are mothers, and we value motherhood, and we value priesthood. And because motherhood and priesthood are both important, people want to equate them together, but we don't see them as a equate like an equal. They're just different, but they're both important. We think that wi- women can be mothers and fa- men can be fathers, and both can still officiate in priesthood. I think people forget that fatherhood is a counterpart to motherhood. <laughs> it's not like anyone's taking that away from men. And right. they, at least a lot of what I read, which is interesting to me that I hadn't actually thought that people thought this until reading more into it. But a lot of the men even in their opposition to this say things like, and like you were saying, how they say women are more spiritual, say things like, well, women are already you know, they're mothers and they're all these things and men having the priesthood is just like trying to catch up and women having the priesthood would just be a step backward because really motherhood is like where it's at. Mm -hmm. Uh, The whole argument to me doesn't really hold uh, value. But do you hear things like that a lot? Especially what are the some of the things, some of the opposition you get from male voices? Some people will say, you know, women have the priesthood and men won't do anything. And <laughs> I, I, I have more faith in the men that I know than that. And perhaps if women have priesthood, um, men will, will do less. I don't know what we can't say what, what might happen. Um, I think that I can think of my father and my bishop and the men in my ward and my brother-in-laws and they're all great men, and I don't see them participating less in their families or in the church because their wives also have priesthood. I think that they would continue to participate. They say men might leave the church if women have priesthood, and perhaps they would. And I would say women are leaving the church now over it. So, yeah. you know, which side of the coin, you know, do you do you want to talk about? But I just continue to see motherhood is very important, fatherhood is very important, and priesthood is very important. They're different things. They're important things. And I think we can have all of those things. And I don't know that one needs to detract from the other. If you have a family and you decide in your family that the, the woman, 
even if she has priests that are not willing to stay home and care for the kids in a traditional way, that, I don't see why that can't continue if that's what you decide for your family. Those choices will still continue. Yeah. Some say that LDS feminists are angry, demanding, power-hungry, anti-family, anti-God, anti-church, and, of course, anti-men. <laughs> you care to rebuttal those claims? <laughs> I think that y- any group of people could be angry or... Um, anti-God or anti-family. The Mormon feminists that I know are none of those things. The Mormon feminists that I know love their families. They're active in their congregations. They love the church as I do. And um, they're not angry. They just want to be heard. And they want these conversations to be taken seriously. So I know that you're not a man. And I know that you wouldn't (laughs) claim... We can vouch for this. Yes, I know that (laughs) no one in here would claim to think of for another person but I'm going to ask the question where does a man of faith get these ideas that women wanting equality in their faith become anti-god anti-church anti-man it it doesn't equate to me I don't understand because there's a lot of fundamentalists in every religion that really want to hold people down or sexuality down and I don't understand where that why is it important for them to have these very stern aggressive feelings I don't know I think I don't know I don't know why they think that maybe because they they see the church operating in a certain way and they believe that that way is from God and so they believe if someone's questioning that way that maybe that they're anti-God or anti-church but I don't know why they feel that way. I think it's a bigger issue, too. I mean, and I read, um, I think we read that same article where it talks about how a lot of people say that you have to fix the environment or reach out to more members to get a bigger majority before making yourself so visible or trying to address um, the leadership because if enough people don't want it, then they won't listen. Um, But then on the other hand, they say that because of this visibility and because of the um, things that are being discussed, now the discussions are being had and more people are becoming aware of it. It's kind of laying the foundation for those things. As far as my experience in the church goes, a lot of that, I believe that those things come from revelation. But also, as many leaders have said, the church isn't perfect because it's run by people who aren't perfect. Trying to decide how I'm trying to, it's like such a touchy subject to discuss. <laughs> um, but a lot of the things, I mean, this isn't to say that the church isn't run by divine revelation because it is, but that's not saying that mistakes don't happen as a result of culturally contaminated traditions and different viewpoints. Does ordained women um, reach out farther outside of the LDS church in other feminist efforts um, in an attempt to change the social misogyny that goes on that could lend to some of the members of the church opposing ordained women so much, do you think? Can you say it again? Like the, the, do you know what I mean? Like the, um, the church being in like Utah even, the whole nation has i mean the feminist movement is gaining a little bit of speed right now Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of things that are kind of misogynistic about the world that we live in does ordained women try or want to reach out into that broader feminist drive or is it just a specifically in the lds church organization does that make sense 
it's really focused. We're we're a part of the church, and so this is something that's an int- for us. It's an internal conversation with the church, and we're really excited that people are talking about it. We think these conversations are important. There are other religions, the Jewish religion, the Catholic religion, who have been talking about women and their faith, and we've talked to them, but we found that the faiths are different, and so the approaches are often different. So for us, it's very much a conversation internally with our family, with our people. Kate Kelly is the founder of the Ordained Women's Group, correct? Kate was there from the beginning. There were other women there at the beginning, too, like uh, Lori Winder. I'll just name Lori, but Mm -hmm. certainly... um, Kate has been the um, driver for our action, and Lori's been a bit of our matriarchal mother. And so, yes. What inspired you to get involved? Because every person on this planet is busy. Mm -hmm. Uh, To spend (laughs) so much of their time, whether it's one day or many weeks, to get involved in such a pursuit is time-consuming. Yeah. And you have to make sacrifices, whether it's with your family, your career, your leisure time. What prompted you to get into this? I've considered myself a Mormon feminist for many years. I've been particularly through those years involved with the the magazine Exponent 2 and involved with the women who write Exponent 2, a great magazine, a little side plug (laughs) plug for them. Um, And so I had met Kate but didn't know much about ordained women, and Kate was looking for people to put up profiles when when ordainedwomen.org became into existence on March 17th, uh, 2013. And so she sent a note through many different lines and um, she sent a note to many of the women in Exponent that went write or blog for Exponent and said, would you be interested in... And the moment I read that email and I heard about um, ordainedwomen.org, I just knew. I knew it was like the right place for me to be directing my energies and all the things I've been thinking about and talking about for so many years. I was like, yes, this is it. And um, so I thought and talked even more and decided to put a profile in April of uh, 2013. And it's been great. And Kate lives um, in the Washington, D.C. area as well. So we've had lunch many times. And um She's great. And so we've talked a lot about ordained women. And I, of course, met Lori and a lot of the other women that are part of the board, Hannah and Nancy and Deborah. I feel like I'm missing one, Chelsea and uh, Heather. And they're all great. And they're faithful, um, focused, driven women. But for me, it was just a culmination of like a lot of years of thinking and studying and being a um, part of Exponent and then this is just a great step for me. Have you had death threats? Have you had uh, any threat of violence towards you or have any other members of? I haven't had any threats. I don't know that anyone has personally had any threats. The inbox, the ordained women inbox is (laughs) full of people who do not like us or what we're doing. And they have some mean, harsh things to say. My personal family, friends and ward have been really great to me so I haven't had any anyone personally in my life who's been harsh to me but certainly strangers you know yeah have been well can without using excessive language because none of us want to hear the words (laughs) (laughs) what types of thoughts are they saying to you guys whether it's on Twitter or Facebook and stuff just so that I can have a real understanding of what you're going through okay They'll say things like, you're stupid, you need to shut your mouth and follow the prophet. They'll say, 
uh, women will never, in capital letters, have priesthood. And if you were faithful, you would understand that. Please stop what you're doing. You're hurting everyone around you. We hate you. They'll say, what was the quote recently? <laughs> the lesser kingdom kingdoms of eternity await you. Was that in that article that by Neil in, Mitchell? Yes. I, it is one of the most offensive articles I've ever read. It's like only a couple paragraphs. But well, one person said we were all, oh, let's see what they said, that we weren't good looking. There were no lookers in the herd. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think one of the most offensive things I've heard personally, just discussing with like peers and uh, other members, uh, both in like the male and the female aspects, when this comes up and we discuss, you know, what we think about it. I think one of the most offensive things I've heard, and I kind of wonder how you guys respond to this assertion, is that women who are, you know, fighting for the priesthood, as they say, like protesting to get the priesthood, that they don't have strong enough testimonies or that they should just leave the church if they don't like the way that things are. And I never really know what to say to that either. <laughs> but do you, is there a, I don't know. Well, it's, I say it's because I have a testimony. It's because I see myself as a daughter of God that I want to ask these hard questions, that I value who I am as a woman and as a daughter. And so I want to say I'd like to be able to claim my place in the priesthood. Um, so talk with me, pray with me. Let's let's discuss these hard things, but it's not because I don't have faith, it's because I do have faith. Because if this church isn't true and I don't believe it, then what's the point? Why yeah. am I doing all this? But I, I do believe that it's true, and because, I've said this before, because it is true, it's dynamic and it's growing, and it has a place for these kinds of questions. It has a place for me. And so I think it's because of my faith that I ask these questions, not because I don't have faith. Yeah. That's how I see it. There's a lot of conflagration around the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with the LGBT issues in California and mm -hmm. the banning of gay marriages or them trying to force, especially the state of Utah, not to allow gay marriage. We have these feminist priesthood issues. We've had segregation with African Americans in the past in the LDS world. Does as as For both of you, does that bother you that uh, you're tied to a faith that has such a, a stance on having it done a certain way that's not inclusive to everybody. It bothers me, and that's why I ask these questions. Yeah. Um, it doesn't bother me so much that I would walk away and not and say that, you know, I, well, obviously I don't have to be Mormon to believe in the Savior and to know that Jesus is a, the Christ. If you're a Christian, then you would believe that. Yeah. But additionally, I also you know, believe in Joseph Smith. I believe in the Book of Mormon. I have a testimony of these things. And so it does bother me that my faith, to me, feels um, hard on those particular points. So this is one of the reasons why I'm asking the questions is let's un you know unpack this a little bit. Let's explore this further. You can answer for yourself. Oh, <laughs> I, I, it does bother me. Um, it kind of has, was always something where those topics would come up and I, don't go I don't my opinion doesn't side with some of the more hard traditional Mormon doctrine on things and so up until I don't the last two years I would mostly just kind of like oh, shrug my shoulders and not say anything out loud about it but I think the more that people even little things that that are big but seem little like leading up to some of these Mormon feminist things like the way we view modesty and the way it's taught in the church 
things like I'm you're I'm sure you're familiar with that topic. Sure. The modesty thing and people uh, almost putting the responsibility solely on women to keep men and women spiritually and sexually clean. I think it bothers me, but the reason it bothers me is because I believe in the foundations, like you're saying. It wouldn't bother me if I was like, this is a load of crack and I'm just going to go because why bother? But while it bothers me, I think I have a lot of hope in things that I feel could use some shifting uh, just solely because the church has been open to changing. And a lot of people get really, you know, hardline, like it's never going to happen. But how many people probably said blacks will never hold the priesthood? Mm-hmm. Um, because of that, like things with the LGBT community, I a lot and a lot of the Mormon feminists that I know would say, like they're all for women having the priesthood when it comes to things like homosexuality or LGBT and gay marriage and things like that. It's always like a hard no, and you know there are lines that are set. And while I not gonna be like (laughs) saying any clear-cut opinions i think that if you believe in the church it's hard not to believe in questions being asked and people genuinely inquiring of the lord to look at the things that are going on and shed some light on things that feel like um they could change and so i mean that's the way the entire religion was founded and so to me it seems sort of silly when people are so opposed to those who ask questions when that's kind of the way it works in the church, I guess. So when we get back, we have to go to break. We're going to have Will Hatton in. He's a devout LDS believer. He's a man, of course. And a fearless leader at KU. Uh, He has a different spin on this stuff, so I think the conversation will be interesting. (laughs) So you're listening to OU Radio for KU Internet Radio for students by students and we'll see you in just a minute and thank you for coming in we'll be right back becca i met the most beautiful girl in the world today on campus i so want to ask her out but i'm flat broke can you loan me some money please sasha i could but i'd rather see you mature and grow up save your money so that when you need it you have it who's gonna help me achieve that goal the personal money management center at the university of utah At the Personal Money Management Center, they'll show you how to create a personalized budget, help you plan tuition and student loan payments, and even evaluate potential job offers. It's so tough being responsible. I think I'll give Personal Money Management Center a call. What's their number? 801-585-7379. If that's too hard, you can even check out their website at personal-money-management.utah.edu for more details. Financial freedom and a hot date are only a click away. I've got one. I've got one. Yeah, I've got one. My one reason for donating plasma? To make sure that patients like my son have long, healthy lives. My reason? To help my family. It's something I can do to show I care about my community. There are millions of reasons to donate plasma. You only need one. Donate today by visiting Biomat, Plasma Care, or Talacris Plasma Resources, one of our Griffles companies. New donors can earn up to $360 this month, 630 West North Temple and 38 East 800 South, Salt Lake City. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Old Ute Radio on KU Internet Radio. Hello. And with us is uh, Will Hatton joining me, Sasha, and Suzette. Hello, hello. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. Skipping pretty good. class? 
Uh, a little bit. Get your. I'll, I, I will go after this, so I'm not uh-huh. going to like skip. It's a four-hour class, so you know, I, I could probably manage to be out for a little bit. At so you were very that. excited to come in, sir. No, I, I really was because this is a topic that I feel like I've been pondering on for probably ever since I first gained knowledge or understanding of, of what ordained women, who they are. Uh, I have to kind of give tribute to uh, Sam Ortiz. Uh, he's one of my friends on Facebook, and he constantly reposts and like things from ordained women. So I'm constantly seeing his posts on my feed, and so I'm like, okay, you know, this is in my presence. I, I am aware of this organization. And Sam so. Ortiz is our student body president here at the oh, U. So. Okay, thank you, Sam, for your yeah, likes. Awesome. And so it's it's left me just kind of doing a lot of you know soul-seeking, searching of my own. Um, I generally, I'm a sociology major, so I've come to learn a lot of the atrocities of mankind. Uh, mm-hmm. The ideas that there are inequ- there, there is inequality in the world really troubles me. And so this where this kind of difficulty comes from, because I understand the, the desire and I, I support the ideas behind ordained women. Like I believe, uh, you know, there should be in- equality in all. And, and I've been thinking about it a lot and trying to figure out where I really stand on the issue. Uh, and, you know, I kind of feel sometimes I feel like I'm on the left side of this or the right side, you know, wh- whatever that left and right side is. But uh, I feel like lately I've just been bouncing back and forth. And, and you know, I, I, would, I guess my, my first question would be, when, when you look at ordained women, is it an organization that is demanding, wanting, or just simply requesting? Because I, I feel like there's kind of... In my own personal understanding of from what I've read, what I've, I've seen from other people is I, I'm not sure if it's a demand. And the word demand is kind of like a, a, a it has a connotation of being maybe forceful. And I don't know if it's not, you know, there's multiple levels of demand. You can simply make a demand that you want something or you could be, you know, screaming and yelling. Uh, or is it more along the lines of more like a want? Or, or just a desire for women to have the priesthood and have to be ordained. So that I guess my first part of the, my debate comes into that. Is it is it something forceful or is it something you know you want a prog- progression? That it's very subjective because it. I mean, feeling demands or feeling desires depends on the speaker. And certainly, uh, my voice. I'm on the board of directors of the ordained women mm-hmm. with seven other people, and each of us have a different voice. And mm-hmm. then how the hearer is hearing, you know, what what the requests are, then they're going to interpret those different ways. So I think it's a little bit subjective, but I think that we have a pretty strong voice in saying we want the question of ordination to be addressed. I mean, we're going to the house of the prophet as close as we can on next Saturday to put our bodies in that space and say we are here and we want we want our our questions to be um, seen and heard and talked about. So I, I feel like it's pretty strong, but it also I think is a little bit subje- subjective and how you hear it or in which person from ordained women you are are talking yeah, yeah. to. Some people hear dem- demand. Some people hear like we just we want equal rights and like yeah. want is I think a general consensus within ordained women. Yeah, I think kind of along those lines, maybe even like sort of. Uh, another version of that question, I guess, and something that I'm not actually sure if there is like a clear, unified answer from ordained women, but not so much is there a demand or is it a want, but if the leadership of the church does directly address it one way or the other, 
if it is a no, even a hard no or a not right now or one of those, what is the next step then for a date? Is it something where people would leave if that happened or do you, and I know a lot of people would oppose continuing to ask and saying that you're neglecting the Lord's wishes or whatnot, but is there a clear cut what happens when it's addressed and if it's not in that favor? Yeah. What's the next step or speculated next step from the board? We have um, heard that question a lot, and I hear that question a lot. What if? Well, some people say the answer is no, <laughs> and and so and okay, and some people say what if the answer is no? And I just wanted to back up and from and speak to that question, and I think in assuming that the answer is a yes or no is a misinterpretation of the question. People are thinking the question is, should women get the priesthood or not? But the question or the questions are much bigger than that. It's a complicated, complex set of questions. And we're asking, what does God want for his daughters? What does he want for the daughters in the kingdom of God? What do they need to be doing? Priesthood is a part of that. And so if they were to say, you know, women are not going to have the priesthood uh, or have their own quorum of the priesthood, then then what? Then what is it? Help us, talk to us, give us further light knowledge. We're looking for further light knowledge. So it's to me, it's not a yes or no question. So it's not a yes or no answer. What is it that that we should be looking to? And, and motherhood is a, is a great um, thing. But I, for example, I, not only did I have cancer, that eliminated that option for me, but I'm also single. And so I'm not going to be a mother. So where, where, what do I do? Like, what is my role personally in the church of Jesus Christ or in God's kingdom? And so to me, it's a bigger question and it involves a lot about what women are doing and what their role is. And what about people that have children, they're grown, they're certainly still mothers, but they're not caring for them. And, and so I think it's not a yes or no question. So it's not a yes or no answer. Um, I feel bad for interjecting really quick. I feel like we probably should have done this at the start for a lot of the (laughs) listeners who aren't LDS or even LDS listeners who don't actually know. um, I just thought I would quick read the churches, one of the churches published definitions of what the priesthood is uh, in case people don't, you know, they're (laughs) like, what what, what is is this priesthood thing? Uh, The priesthood is the eternal power and authority of God. Through the priesthood, God created and governs the heavens and the earth. Priesthood holders can be authorized to preach the gospel, administer the ordinances of salvation, and govern the kingdom of God on the earth. Priesthood is the authority to act in God's name. It's the same priesthood authority that existed in the original church established by Jesus Christ. Just thought I'd quick give that to all our listeners in case you are completely baffled by what that is, and there are lots of things that could lead you astray online on what that answer is. So what you're saying, Will, go ahead. No, I I was listening prior to coming in, and and prior to listening, I had like a general question that I wanted to ask, but kind of I feel like maybe some of it was answered in the first question that I asked, but some of it was actually answered in just listening to what you were saying. But I kind of want to maybe bring it up and maybe have a discussion on it is, is the idea that how how can one person or a group of people make a request or demand again that kind of like that's where the question (laughs) came from was at the root of that word but have a a spoken desire to the leadership of the church when it's something that would come from god or like like god is going to be the one that would make this decision and it's going to be, you know, implemented by his leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, I, I just, I, I think that was one of the things that, you know, when I say I, I stayed up late at night thinking mm-hmm. about this whole thing, 
that was one of my, one of those thoughts that I had, and I kept coming back to this. Is like, are you know, how can you like, if God wants this to happen, it's going to happen, and it's mm-hmm. going to happen on His time. You know, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on those kind of lines of thought? Sure, I'll give a couple of points, and then you can respond. One is that there are two prepositions in the name of our church. Um, this is the Church of Jesus Christ, and I believe that, and I think that uh, most Mormons believe that. It's also the Church of Latter-day Saints, and we are the Latter-day Saints. Um, so it's um, we are not certainly not above Christ, but it's our church. It's Christ's church, and I think that there's some conversation that happens. The second thing I would um, mention is that when Joseph Smith was um, bringing forth the Restoration, everything that came came from his questions, and you know his first vision came from a question. But then, as the priesthood was revealed, those came because he asked questions. He was wondering about baptism because he was reading the Book of Mormon, and then John the Baptist appeared to him. The Lord could have just sat Joseph Smith down and said, "Here's everything," <laughs> but it. The church grew, and Joseph grew, and things came line upon line. And I see this as as that continuation of that pattern. Yeah. So you can. No, no, I I think that's kind of interesting thought process is to say that, you know, we are Latter Day Saints, and we this is our church. So I think you know when when you look at it, 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 historically, when people start to question, and I, I use that word loosely, I don't mean like directly like questioning the leadership of the church, but just simply question. Some people get really defensive about any kind of questioning. And, and in fact, my cousin sent me a, a, a post on Facebook prior to coming into here just saying, how can you question, essentially, like the, the root of what he was saying? How can you, you know, not simply listen to the prophets and and my response to that would be that, you know, this life, exactly what you said, what Joseph Smith did was he questioned and he wanted to seek guidance. And I think that's where a lot of animosity might be coming from your, t- towards your organization as people just look at it as like you're just questioning authority, questioning the leadership of the church. And as I've been listening to what you've been saying right now and previously uh, before I came in, I feel like there's a, a general question and bringing something to light to say we want something you know we, we have a desire for this but it's not so much again going back to that word demand it's just simply you know you're expressing your opinion you're expressing your questioning of life and and all all that comes with it and and i feel like when when people look at historically and i'm glad sasha brought up earlier he was talking about the kind of uh similarities between um, African-Americans seeking the priesthood. If you go to blacklds.org, they have a really, really extensive history of their process, like the very first men that were ordained to the priesthood back in the 1900s. And and it, it really was unclear about when, like I looked through the entire history and what, there wasn't like a decree from the church that said no more uh, black men shall have the priesthood. It was just kind of like, it almost feels like it was just like a thing that it was just no longer accepted or like they just didn't ordain men to the priesthood. And it was just interesting reading through it. I kind of feel like one of the things that I noticed about the history of African-Americans seeking the priesthood, there wasn't an organization like or ordained women for, for black men. However, there, there were opposition there were people that that tried 
and requested multiple times from the church to be able to receive the priesthood and were, were rebuttaled uh, up early as the 1940s. Church leaders were making, making comments about, you know, this is how, it, you know, this is where we are today. This is the, the state of it, you know, and some, some priesthood leaders made comments along the way to say that, you know, it could happen. We just, we don't know. And I, I think if you ever, if you're ever curious about, um, this is a, a website that's kind of a community for black members in the church. And I think they, they really kind of bring their side of the story to it to kind of wrap up what I'm saying. Sorry. Uh, I, I kind of feel like, although they weren't an organization that said, Hey, give us the priesthood, you know, there were actions that were taking place. There was a voice uh, and I honestly believe in the same circumstance, if it was today in our modern time and African-Americans didn't have the priesthood, I believe there would be an organization like or- Ordained Women that yeah. would be opposing, or not maybe not opposing the church, you know, putting out their opinion. Hmm. And I'll just say really quickly, speaking of African-Americans, we were on uh, Sisters in Zion Kate and I were a few weeks ago. And if there's any um, black sisters out there, we would love to have you on board. We do not have that um, voice um, represented big enough for us. And we don't, I don't know very much about that other insights. So we would love to have you join us. My cousin did pose a question or he, a statement that his wife made. And so this is coming from an LDS woman okay. to say that most majority LDS women don't want the priesthood. And, and I, I think you kind of highlighted that a little bit earlier in the show, but I, I kind of like stood out to me is, is, do you feel that's a general truth or do you feel that you guys as an organization are a minority in the church? W- what are your thoughts on that? According to the numbers, we're a growing minority. So yes, um, I have heard that many women don't want priesthood. And their reasons are different. One of the major reasons I've heard what they don't want is they feel like it's a lot of work and they feel like they're already doing a lot of things and they're like, I don't want to do all of that. But I don't see it that way. I don't see it as more work. I see it as shared work. And so the work stays the same, but then you have more people being able to administer it. So I'm not sure that it would be more work necessarily. Um, For I'm, I'm a single woman. And so if they could call me to give a blessing, they wouldn't call someone away from their family to give that same blessing. So I just, I think it's shared work and not more work. But that's the thing I hear most from women is that it's so much work. We don't want the work. <laughs> I think it's a pri- it would be a privilege um, to be able to participate in those ordinances. I think people but just fear what they don't know. Maybe. Well, one of the things I think, and I keep tying it to like b- feminism in a broader sense, but even a lot of women in the country and around the world oppose feminism as females and you have to think why would you oppose you know equality for your gender and i think in the church too talking about blacks and the priesthood and a lot of things the church obviously is not run uh according to the world or anything but it is run by people in the world like i was saying earlier a lot of people like look at things like the whole organization of the church and leading up to joseph smith being in America and being able to have religious freedom and that being kind of the hand of God and leading these things to happen. Same with blacks in the priesthood, a lot of different social and national and like cultural things led to that being a little more accepted. I think it's the same way too with ordained women. A lot of people oppose it because they see feminism as a dirty word where they're like, I don't want to be called a feminist. How dare you say that about me? I don't burn my bra, you know? And it's kind of a thing where (laughs) I love my bra. (laughs) Kind of a thing where as I feel like 
as people in general become more open and seeing some of the inequalities that women face in the world as a whole and being more open to identifying as feminist, then more people will be open to seeing ordained women and things like this, not as a couple of crazy women trying to like (laughs) shake their fists at the priesthood holders and say, we want in, but see that it's kind of a bigger issue. And if the church led, maybe the world would follow a little bit, if that makes sense. I don't know. I I kind of agree with with everything that I've been hearing today. Like it's definitely putting me in line with coming to a consensus that, you know, the things that ordained women stand for are, are, you know, things that I can, I can support. Like one of the things, like I was doing a little bit of research during doing a little bit of kind of just article searching as I was coming to this. And you can find it even within the LDS church's website, say that, you know, president Fielding Smith, Joseph Fielding Smith, uh, was quoted as saying, it is within the privilege of sisters in this church to receive exaltation in the kingdom of God and receive authority and power as queens and priestesses. And that to me, you know, that that's kind of leading towards the idea of like exaltation in the kingdom of God. But if in the afterlife, if once we've gone on from this life, if women are to be queens and priestesses, I, I, like my my biggest argument or my thought that would support this argument or support this line of thought is if it's going to happen in the afterlife why not why why is it so you know crazy that it would happen if today? we're building the kingdom of heaven on earth then that would be yeah. be part of it and certainly that language shows up in uh, mormon temple worship a lot there's a oh, lot yeah. of language around um, priestesses and things like that in our temple worship um i know we've touched on this a little bit quite a bit Sort of, but not specifically. But we have questions coming in from listeners. One of them is, um, when do you think it would be time to stop trying to get women ordained and maybe start another branch of Mormonism? Slash, is that even like a line of thought? I guess we've kind of answered it with, what would you do if the answer is no? Mm -hmm. But is that, and I'm sure a lot of people think that that would, you know, if this doesn't work, then you'll just branch off and start doing your own thing. Uh, what would you respond to people who have those questions? We don't think, we think we should always be asking. We should never stop asking uh, good questions. And we certainly don't have any conversations ever about starting (laughs) our own branch of Mormonism. And people have said, you know, why don't you start a new church? And I'm not sure if they mean, we don't want you here. Why don't you start a new church? Or questioning, like, why don't you start a new church if you don't like the one you're in? I'm not sure which that, certainly it's hurtful to, to think is someone just saying, we don't want you here, go start your own church, that, well, I want to be a part of this church. It's what I believe in. But it, as far as just sort of questioning, why don't you start your own church? Why don't you move on? Is because I believe this church is, is ever expanding and growing and that we can receive the light and knowledge that we need to, to make this work in the church we already have. For a behind-the-scenes look, what is the process you your group is currently going through with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So we know that you have an organized group, that you're getting funding, that you're petitioning outside of the conference, but what is the conversation that you're having with the church itself and how high up have you got into with administration about your wants and needs? One of the biggest pieces that we haven't mentioned tonight about what we're doing is that we have a website, ordainwomen.org. So we should have said that from the beginning, ordainwomen.org. We have almost 300 profiles from active 
largely active members of the church who share their personal views on women and priesthood. And I would encourage you to go and read those profiles because that's really a big piece of who we are and what we're doing. As far as we have heard nothing from um, any of the the church leaders uh, as far as the general church. I've certainly spoken to my bishop. I've spoken to my stake president. Many of us have spoken to our local leaders and have largely had really great conversations with our local leaders, but we haven't heard anything from anyone in the Quorum of the Twelve or the Seventy or the Prophet. I'm actually kind of curious, and it's good to hear that you're having good conversation with your local leadership. When I've looked into the past on kind of the outspoken nature of hot topics in the church (laughs) a lot of time things like excommunication come up nobody's received any letters correct like uh, within your organization no um of the 300 people that have their profiles up on ordainedwomen.org i'll say that again um (laughs) no one has received any formal discipline that's actually something i've heard too in talking with other women and men in the church a lot of people have expressed like can i be like reprimanded or have like certain privileges and things taken away for standing in this group or standing for these things and looking for change in the church. And that's something I know that like quite a few people my age especially Mm -hmm. wonder like if they will be punished I guess a little bit for being vocal about these things not get callings or not be as you know respected in their wards and things like that. Have any of the like leaders of this group or some of the more like active members of it re- ever received any of that kind of backlash, I guess, from their own personal wards and stakes. Right. I mean, obviously, if you're considering being a part of Ordained Women, which we would love, um, we can't we can't know how any local leader would respond. Yeah. Uh, we couldn't. We don't know that. We know that no one has received any formal discipline, and then. Informally, you know, are they ostracized from their ward? Are their church leaders like upset about it? That has varied. You know, people have varying experiences with their family, with their ward, with their church leaders, and and how well they are received. And again, it's it's hard to know how any individual person might be received. But certainly, we have people in ordained women that feel like they've been somewhat ostracized in their wards or somewhat um, had bishops or stake presidents that have sort of pushed on them a little bit, but. Again, it's just a huge variance there, and you have to make that decision for yourself, how you, how you go with your conscience and what God speaks to you. So we're wrapping better. up here. Where do we see the women's movement in the LDS church in the next year, the next three years, the next five years? I don't know. Hopefully we'll be ordained, right? That's what we would love. How I see it is uh, we, we really just, these conversations have been great. And we see more profiles coming in. We hope to have more profiles. We hope people will be reading those profiles on ordainwomen.org. We hope they'll be talking about it with their families, with their local leaders, and finding ways in which, you know, women's voice and women's visibility can continue to grow within their wards, within their stakes. And, of course, we hope that we'll be able to speak with the prophet or the 70 or the quorum of the 12 and get some bigger answers. Yeah. Where, so this next week is conference. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing and how, if anyone would like to join sure. in your cause and your So if this group. has resonated with we, with you, we hope that you will join us on April 5th. We um, will be asking to attend the priesthood session because we want to show our sincerity, because we want to be a part of that priesthood session. We'll be meeting as a group at uh, 4 o'clock on Saturday, April 5th in City Creek Park, 
think it's called, say, it's the park that's just north Kitty of Corner. North Temple, mm-hmm. Kitty Corner to the church office buildings. We'll be meeting there and have a, a short a, a song and a prayer and a short program. And then we will we'll walk down to, to Temple Square together as a group. And um, we'd love to have you there. And then like. where are you at on Facebook, the Facebook page? We do have an account? Ordained Women Facebook page. We also have an Ordained Women um I think it's called Action Page. It's it's the actual. If you typed in Ordain Women um, on April fifth, then we should have. Oh, there's, there's an action an page that gives an event and tells you all the details about the event on April fifth. Then we also have an, an Ordain Women Facebook page with two different things. But look up the details on the the Ordain Women um, action for April fifth, and then also. So we're all over Facebook. We're all over. <laughs> Ordainwomen.org, as you said, you right. can go and make a profile. Uh huh. Or you can read about us there. You can read our actions. You can read all kinds of commentary, um, FAQs, etc. Anything else you'd like to say to wrap up? Anything we didn't touch on Just that you hope to talk about? Come and join us on April fifth if you if you feel so guided. Great. Well, we're really happy that you came in. Thank you. We thank you so much for um, letting us have you for a bit to discuss. <laughs> thank you. We are going to go to break then, listeners. Uh, Suzette will be leaving the studio, so a big thank you again. And we will be right back after a few short promos. Thank you for listening to All Ute Radio. Hi, this is John Androsik of Five for Fighting, here for RAD, the entertainment industry's voice for road safety. You know, style is a personal thing, and your lifestyle is your business. But if you take it on the road, it becomes everybody's business. So please, plan ahead. Designate before you celebrate. Friends, don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. One good thing about music, when it hits you, you feel no pain. So let the you educate you. Let your professors stress you out. Let them educate you as well. Let the library give you a good place for you to study. And let's K-Youth Internet Radio give you good music every Saturday, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m., 10 p.m. to midnight. K-Youth Internet Radio, radio for students, by students. God bless you and have a great week, people. Bless and love. Peace. It's Rubber Ducks. You got a copy on me, Big Ben? Come on. Boy, yeah, 10-4, Big Ben for sure, for sure. By golly, it's clean, clear to Flagtown. Come on. Yeah, it's a big 10-4 there, big 10. Yeah, we definitely got the front door, good buddy. Mercy sakes alive, looks like we've got us a convoy. With the dark of the moon on the 6th of June and a Kenworth pulling logs. Cab over Pete with a reefer on and a Jimmy hauling hogs. We is hello, hello, Dakota, are you there? I am here, and I am ready and willing, and Becca, is a pleasure to speak with you again. It is surely a pleasure on my end as well. How's it going? <laughs> Phillies, though. I don't, I don't know about the Phillies. Oh, come on. Come me some slack. What's your team again? Uh, I got the Mariners, man. We're hurting this oh. year. Trust me. We're hurting. I'm not, I mean, I have to stay confident about the <sighs> Phillies, but logical me isn't the most confident, but... The super enthusiastic fan. And oh, we spent so much money on World Robinson Series. Cano. <laughs> so, guys, what's on the agenda today? So we were asked to... What is that noise? What is that? Why? Why do we have microphone problems today? 
I'm just gonna start making noises too. If everyone else, all the noises get to make noises. Uh, quick, quick follow up with our listeners for w- the interview we just had with Suzette Smith of Ordain Women. Um, we were asked how men can show their support. If you go on ordainwomen.org, there is a link under the committees for a male um, allies committee. And also, uh, many men come and stand with them at the different conferences like this Saturday at 4. So, for those of you who were wondering, there you go. So, let's do a recap. Did you hear any of the conversation, Dakota? No, I'm sorry. I was... um taking care of some family matters, but no. Basically, right now in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, women cannot enter the priesthood. Can you go over again what the priesthood is? The priesthood is um, supposed to be the power and authority of God to this church. Uh, The keys of the priesthood allow the governing of the church. It allows priesthood members are the ones who do the baptisms. They bless and serve the sacrament. They are the bishops, the leaders. Um, Are you still a human being, like, once you get priesthood? Or do you get elevated into a different type of body? Oh, no, you're definitely a human being. You can lose the priest. I mean, if you don't... <laughs> hey, if you don't, important question, In the sir. church, if you don't live worthily of the priesthood, and there are um, different, you know, standards and things that you have to be doing or not doing and in line with, there is a distinction between being a worthy priesthood holder and having gotten the priesthood but not having access to it if you are not living worthily you're definitely still a human being i have a hard time with the concept of god i've grown up as i said earlier today and throughout this show's history from an orthodox jewish family i can read biblical hebrew i can read and write modern hebrew with a near fluidity i've read talmud i've pretty much read every page in the Torah. I've read a little Christian Testament. I still have a hard time believing in God just because of the blind violence that I see on planet Earth. And with the Crusades and the Infatadas and the bombings in Israel and the Holocaust and the pogroms, and I just see so much killing in the name of God that, and I don't see God here on the planet. I don't see the Messiah. How because I, I, I don't think Dakota's, I don't th- want to say that you're agnostic or atheist, but you're kind of in my position where you're searching for God every day. How do you live with God in your life? I feel like I am searching for God every day. A big part of the LDS faith, and just my faith personally, is having like a personal connection with God. A lot of people, um, and a lot of people are this way, so it's not far off to say this, but a lot of religions have people who don't really know what they believe and just kind of um, follow blindly. And that's a problem, but it isn't, that's not even the way that the LDS faith specifically teaches people to be. One of the biggest things is that you, as an individual, are supposed to gain your own testimony, pray, and receive your own revelation for yourself about those things. For me, I do believe in God. Yeah. And I feel that I have a personal relationship with um, my faith and God and my own like prayers and things. Where are you at, Dakota? As as with any conscious human being, I mean, we're all looking for our connection with our own humanity. 
And I think that uh, religion provides a window into our connection with our own humanity. The term God for me, as you spoke earlier, is like it's kind of a, a difficult term because it raises one to like the highest level. Like, are you willing to accept the highest level of human spirituality? And I think uh, spirituality for me is a more comfortable word than religion Yeah. because I grew up in a family which didn't have a particular religion. Uh, my father uh, practiced Ho'oponopono, which is the um, Hawaiian practice of God. And my mother was a devout Native American priestess, and I was at uh, longhouse ceremonies with dancing and with um, health, like masks and a very an animistic uh, tradition of spirituality. Yeah. So the path towards enlightenment, which I think that all religion is searching towards, is really based on one's ability to harness not only your own humanity and your own individuality, but connect that individuality with something which is overarching into all of people. And so my, my pursuit towards spirituality is an attempt to connect all people with their own faults. Like we are all humans, like we all make mistakes. Like the, yeah. the basic premise of religion is you will make mistakes and you will falter, but here are some opportunities for you to look at the path and try and relate to an opportunity to put yourself in a trajectory which will make you a better person at the outcome of your life. And so that for me, like certainly like all religions which provide that opportunity are viable. But I agree with you, Sasha, as well, that there have been so many situations where our pursuit towards godlikeness has caused incredible detriment to the rest of humanity. So there is a very fine line for me as an individual as to what is religious and what is detrimental. Unfortunately, we have to take another hard break here because we're at the top of the hour. But when I get back, I know Becca will be here for about eight or nine, ten minutes. Yep. I kind of want to get into the real aspects of where w women lie in religiosity because I'm not convinced of the argument from the ordained women's group. Like, I, I, I and so I want to get into that okay. because I, I think that there were a lot of questions, that, discussion that weren't answered. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to go to some quick promos then. Yes. Thank you, listeners, for listening to All Ute Radio, and we will be right back. Hey, what's up? It's Fox 13's Big Buddha. You are listening to KUTE Radio, radio for students by students. This is Chris Hollifield from the I Am Salt Lake podcast, and you're listening to All Ute Radio. We're Consolidated International, and we might be looking for you. Are you one of those people who show up, punch in, pitch in, put out, clean up, punch out, head home, throw up, turn in, sack out, and shut up? That's what we need. People we can keep in line. We may have a place for you. Consolidated International. People making things so people have things to do things to other people with. And thinking up more things to do with the stuff we have. 
Yes, we do. We do. We do. And Becca, you should hang out with Welcome back to All You Radio. Thank you for staying with us through those short promos. Creating editing nightmares for me by talking <laughs> over. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like him. You know, it's a little quirky. Oh, I love Dakota. Dakota's a good friend of mine. Dakota's my <coughs> best friend. Live radio is meant for mistakes. I mean, if we wanted to sit around and edit ourselves all day long, we would not be part of this beautiful opportunity for live media no so we'd be in corporate radio. enjoy enjoy <laughs> our faults enjoy our faults yeah, because guys. our faults are what makes us human like them laugh at them it's the idiosyncratic behaviorisms of an individual which make us smile <laughs> yuck yuck <laughs> not my favorite so what were we talking about controversy so women want to get into priesthood they they've successfully got themselves into government, into roles of leadership. Mm -hmm. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, we've had female presidents in England. Uh, we've had... We... Senator... <laughs> <laughs> those, those were actually considered... Those were considered queens. Yes, fair enough. <laughs> no, but we've had a prime minister. There was a prime, <laughs> there was a prime minister, uh, Margaret Thatcher, so that wasn't a queen. Um, but an independent president. But... What I'm saying is, and I guess it's perfect for you, Becca, is why do women want to be in power? As George Carlin would say, why do women want to replicate the worst aspect of men? I think the priesthood thing, explicitly, the priesthood is not... Okay, the reason that women want the priesthood is because any man in the church can have the priesthood once he is of certain age and also worthy to hold it. Yes. That doesn't, ex I mean, it gives them, in the LDS belief, it gives them power to basically be a vessel for the power of God and things like healing or blessings, um, other various things. I think for women wanting the priesthood is not so much to be like, we want power, but more because there are a lot of women who very much believe in the church, but feel you know, a little weird when everything's run by men. You don't have a lot of, you don't have any women in a real leadership position that isn't placed directly over women and children. I mean, we have the Relief Society presidency, which exclusively deals with the Relief Society, which is women, and then primary, which is children. But women are never given authority, really, over men. So do you think that one of the, say this for both of you two, do you think one of the reasons why men have not wanted women in power is because they grew up as little boys and had, especially in the old world where the woman, the wife, the mom, was the supreme power in a household because the men were at work. And so the, especially the firstborn males were yeah. under a strict hammer from the mother. So do you think that they just wanted to get away from the mom? With the priesthood? In priesthoods, with government, I think, with military. I honestly think, and everything that we've been talking about today with ordained women, it really just comes from, like, the broader... I mean, people are uncomfortable. Many people are uncomfortable, like, with women as a president, saying, you know, women are too emotional, or they wouldn't be good leaders, or they can't handle this and that, and other inequalities that I think are really wrong. I mean, yeah, there are women who can't, 
who might not be as suited for leadership, but there's a lot of men who aren't either. I think it's a bigger, I don't think the church is exempt from some of the cultural contaminations of the world. Like, I don't think that the church doesn't sometimes have mistakes brought about by the culture in which it's founded on some pretty misogynistic beliefs. Go ahead, Dakota. We have some great examples of men who are not capable of leading. I mean, we have Barack Obama. We have <laughs> yeah. Bill Clinton. We have George Bush W. We have George Bush Sr. So we have we have a long line of men who are completely incapable of leading. So it, it leads me to believe that if we have set up a situation where men in power are incapable of doing their jobs, there's no reason why we should believe that women aren't just as incapable of doing those jobs. So it's not so much about who is more capable of doing the job. It's about opening up the conversation to people to be able to make their own mistakes. I yeah. mean, we've watched Barack Obama make his mistakes. We watched Bill Clinton make his mistakes. We watched George W. make his mistakes. It's time for and we a woman watched to his make father make his mistakes. <laughs> so, so, so let's allow everyone else to make mistakes. I mean, part of humanity is that you learn through the process of being a person. So let's let all people. Let's open the whole situation up to if you are a person and you can breathe and think and feel and, you know, go to the bathroom like everybody else, like <laughs> you are just as capable of being in power as anyone else who claims that they have come from the blue blood line of those who know how to control power. Yeah. So um, I completely agree with you, Becca. There, there is no reason why anyone else shouldn't be able to make mistakes. Yeah. And the emotional characteristics of women, like, okay, like, that's fine. But, like, the intellectual characteristics of men have not provided us with a better world anyway. So there's exactly. no argument to say that men are better leaders because men have created as much destruction as is possible. So if we need to turn that over to women and let them make mistakes too – fine like that's humanity like we are all capable of mistakes so let's 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 open this field up i think that's i mean and i think that's what the biggest issue is with all the people who want the priesthood and even just feminism in general is just pushing for more equality in all aspects of life not just at school or in work or politics but also religion where there's a huge deficit of female leadership and female influence i've heard a lot of intelligent people say that one of the one of the reasons why America doesn't function very well is because the woman the wife the mother has left the household I remember growing my mother was a working professional she was a psychologist she was never home before 637 yeah at night about the time my stepdad got home so I was constantly on the block trouble and I always look back in my life would I have been less cantankerous had my mother been around yeah uh, would i have clashed less with her if she was in a more traditional mother role if i were married though i'm not sure i wouldn't want my wife to work and yeah. to have the freedoms to make money to make decisions to create an impact in the world 
Well, that's one of the things, too, is even as, like, Suzette mentioned, a lot of women are like, we already have so much to do. We have children to raise and other things. I think, I mean, even myself and, like, my mom in the church has held some pretty time-consuming callings. Women in the church really are spending just as much, I mean, with the exception of being on, like, the Quorum of the Twelve and a prophet, which is only going to be so many women, Having the priesthood for women in general is not going to pull women from their homes. It's going to give them more power in their homes, at least by their faith. They have callings and they go and spend a lot of hours in the church with their other callings. And so it's silly to think that the priesthood, not that you think, but a lot of people think that the priesthood is like taking women from their divine role of motherhood. And I think it's just accentuating that power. I like that thought. Well, and on that same hand, like, you know, we also have to look at um, what happens to the men who are not in that situation. And I think that there's been a large amount of our society which does not exemplify or, or respect the fact that, like, there are men who are in charge of being the fathers, too. Yeah. So if we're going to sit here and say that, like, it's the women's job to raise the children, well... Whose job is it to be the male figure in that? So I, I completely celebrate uh, women in the workplace for the opportunity not only to empower women in their ability to be uh, breadwinners for a family, but also put some responsibility on the fathers and let those fathers actually uh, take care of their responsibilities as raising their own children. Because yeah. it's not the women's job to raise children. It is a family's job to raise children, and you as job. the father, well, yeah, I mean, it takes a village, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's one of the big things where I'm seeing some pretty sexist ideas that kind of make their way into the church where people say, you know, women have motherhood, we get the priesthood, and then they neglect the huge, huge uh, role of fatherhood in a family, and think that they that gives them the power to exclusively have the priesthood and women should just be moms you know i've been a single father for roughly 11 years <laughs> you know and i've had girlfriends come and go in those 11 years but they've never been a motherly figure to my son mostly they've been kept away i don't recommend being a single parent to anybody and i don't think that being a single parent is the best way for my son to grow up and I'm lucky that I have a great relationship with his mom. Yeah. But you know, I think that when people decide to have children, they really need to make a commitment to their spouses for the children. Uh, wh where's your thoughts on that, Dakota? Cause I know that, you know, and forgive me if I speak too much about your person, but you've gone in and out of steady relationship with kids. I have three beautiful children and I will tell you, I have never decided to have any of them. <laughs> so when someone enters into the in, when someone enters into the sanctimonious opportunity to decide to have children, good for you. Like you know, like make sure that your your grounds are solid. But you know, for some of the rest of our promiscuous male population, like there is an opportunity to be part of your child's life and to try and be the best parent that you can. But you know, like I. I there is certainly not a uh, stigma in this country anymore for the for the um, atomic family structure. Like I think the atomic family structure is beginning to fail, yeah. and 
the reality has not so much to do with like I will create a child based on the fact that I have a loving relationship with the partner that I will have throughout my entire life, but more how people relate to raising children and how you bring them into the world with knowledge about how to be a, a good person. And if that falls outside of the ethnic family structure, I do not think that that's a detriment to those children. Yeah, I think that that's an old stigma. That's an old stigma of that, like, if your parents aren't together and you didn't grow up in a family that, like, your parents love each other and you go sit down to dinner at 6 o'clock every night and mom makes dinner and dad comes <laughs> home from his job shining shoes or whatever and brings home a couple of bucks, <laughs> like, that's not necessarily an, an appropriate look at how the American family functions anymore. That that's a look from 1950. Yeah. You know, and, and the 1950s model of the American family is all but dead. And anyone who's holding on to it is holding on to something which has passed them by. And the reality is children are incredibly intelligent. They are more intelligent than their parents because they understand the world at a unique level which has nothing to do with your preconceptions. Yeah. And those preconceptions are what trouble us as parents. But children don't have those preconceptions. They're not troubled with the fact that my mom and my dad don't live in the same house. What they're looking for is love. They're looking for respect. They're looking for support. And if you can provide love and respect and support for your children, and if you're not living with your children's mother or father, then you are doing a far better job of the majority of this country who is still trapped in the stigma of I have to stay with the wife that I hate. Like everyone on television is like, oh, I've been with my wife for 20 years, but I hate her. Like <laughs> you should not be living with someone that you hate because your children can see through that. And yeah. if you're not happy with the person that you're with, your children feel that. So be a happy person, find a way to be a happy person, and try and represent that to your children. That's the only thing you can do. Like live a good life. Live a good life that you're happy with and show a good, happy life to your children. And whether or not you have the mother at your side or she lives in another state, the only thing you can do for your child is show them how to be a good human being. Yeah. Tough job. Rough job. <laughs> Let's go to break. We'll come back, and Dakota and I will get into a bunch of topics. I know that I'd like to talk about my failings as an American citizen with the new uh, Obamacare Act that I failed miserably on, and so did their website. I couldn't <laughs> log on for three hours last night. So now I'm facing a $95 tax, and I'm not happy about this. So, Well, hello. This is all you Radio. I'm Sasha Bloom. Becca has left us. With me through the etherwebs is Dakota Force, my friend, your friend, and co-host of All Ute Radio, exclusively heard for KU Internet Radio. Hello, sir. It was incredible. I was doing the best plugs, and I was so happy to promote everything which you, Sasha, are doing and your faithful co-host, Becca. And I just have to uh, give my kudos to... University of Utah for allowing us this unique opportunity to just share open source ideas. The University of Utah 
And the whole time, I mean, I've basically been here since I was a little kid. When my mother was getting her PhD, I was sitting in the back of her classes. And then I came here the first time in my early 20s and left to odd circumstances <laughs> to a very interesting dialogue that we had here today, which was freedom of religion, freedom of expression, being able to be part of a religion. Um, you know, and I got in a lot of trouble my first time around for an, an article that I wrote for a Dr. Harris Lenowitz, who has since been terminated from this campus. There's nothing worse in life than when you put your trust into an elder or a professor and they turn around and fail on you or hurt you. You know, he didn't hurt me. He hurt me emotionally. And I was too young, too naive to handle it at the time with, you know, having the birth of a son and such. Religion is so complicated. It's such a divisive paradigm in our society. And I don't think that it needs to be, but it's designed that way. I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, it is designed that way, but I unfortunately... Religion is designed that way after the point that it was conceived. Because when you look at any religion, Buddhism, Hinduism, um, Christianity, Judaism, they're not birthed out of exclusion. They're birthed out of inclusion. The, the thing about religion, for me, is... I have, I have people knock on my door, and they want to talk about their God, and they want to talk about how enlightened they've become and how comfortable they are in their world because of their experience with God. And that is completely valid. It is completely valid, and I cannot deny any of those individuals the opportunity to speak on how they have connected with their clarity. And I would like to remove the word religion and input the word clarity because our job as humans is to come to our own clarity as beings and that clarity can be found through religion and it can also be found through other ways our responsibility as human beings is to search for that clarity of being where I feel that I am the most pure and honest person that I could possibly be so for many people Religion is necessary in reaching towards that clarity, and for some of us, uh, there are alternative methods. I, I come from a part of my family has a, a, a side of rabbis going down for a long time, and I was one of the first men on the line of the family that didn't become a rabbi. And it was strongly encouraged me to by my chief rabbi at the time to go to rabbinical school in New Jersey. And I really thought about doing it. And I've really tried hard to be a religious man. But I've always, like, when I've got real strict with Judaism in terms of following kosherush law or kosher law, I find myself so alienated in this society. And I've, I've failed miserably at acting as a Jewish man. But I... I don't feel bad about it because there's a lot of stuff in it that I really don't appreciate. It's hard for me to identify with the state of Israel when I see that they have fascist tendencies towards the Palestinians and the Lebanese and the Syrian. But then I have that feeling struggling as an American where I feel like our country has fascist tendencies towards these same Muslim groups. And like I said, Dakota, I've, I've tried religion and it doesn't I've never, God's never talked to me. And, you know, that's the cliche. 
but I, I don't get it. I, I, but I see people who are religious who seem to have very good lives, and maybe I'm jealous of it. The good life is for the living, you know. I mean, there, there are plenty of people who are living a good Christian life or a good Muslim life or a good Jewish life or a good Hindu life or a good any other religion that I can't remember right now, but like there are also a lot of people who don't have a religion who are also living a good life. And so it's not necessarily a contest over who is in the best religion. It is really an opportunity for oneself to seek out the opportunities that fulfill them in a deep sense. Like if you're fulfilled in the core of your being, like if you can sit down at the end of the night and ruminate on your concept of the world and feel whole and feel complete because of the way that you lived, that is as best as you could ever ask for any religion. And if that comes from, if that comes to you through your act in participating in a religion, Wonderful, and I support you 100%. And, and, and as we go back to what was talked about before, I support the women's movement in Mormonism to become part of the priesthood because if that is what is needed for your life to feel complete and to be part of a religious identity which shows you meaning and shows you worth, then absolutely you should have it. I also want to warn anyone who is part of any religion that if you are feeling any part removed from the wholeness or the spirituality which you seek to express in your concept of pursuing God, then keep pursuing the ways that work for you. Because we are all responsible for our own connection to God-likeness. And if you feel good about the person you are, no one else should be able to tell you otherwise. I find it fascinating uh, listening to the Ordains Women's Group because you don't really think about it. Because, you know, as Dr. Hodgkins discussed a while ago with Keith and I about white privilege. And I, 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 I hate that concept. I think there's racism involved in it. But at the same time, there's an accuracy because I don't. You know, if I want to become a rabbi, I could become a rabbi. If I wanted to convert to Catholicism or Christianity, I could become ordained as a priest. But if I'm a woman, I can't do that. Like, there's no argument. And so when you when you put when I put myself in their shoes, it's unique to to really think about that they don't have the same rights that I do as a man. I risk putting myself way too far out there with the statement I'm about to make, but um, I was given this statement when I was in seventh grade by my biology teacher when we were learning about how cells replicate and how the human body replicates. And um, he said, quite honestly, to a classroom full of 35 children, Chaz Polly, Chaz Polly, if you're not dead yet, I hope you're hearing this because I'm calling you out. Um, <laughs> he told us, he told us straight-faced, if women recognize their ability to replicate the human body, they will put men in cages and they will milk them for their semen because men do not do anything on this planet other than provide the seed for other beings to be grown. Women do all the rest of the work. They do all the rest of the work. So if we're going to 
going to look at this thing from a strict biological standpoint, males are completely useless in the entire modernity of how it is that we function as a society. We can make male children, we can make female children, but men are doing nothing other than the hard work and providing the seed in order to bring, bring those children to light. Women are carrying the seed, they are nursing the seed, they are raising it as a child, they are part of the integral makings of how that human becomes a person. So there are certain theories which are saying that religion and um, masculine overarching control are simply a attempt to subdue the fact that like we as men are useless in society. The, the mammalian paradigm is to reproduce, create a better offspring than what you were, and allow them to have an easier life so that they can reproduce. That's, I mean, if you look at it from a biological level, you're absolutely right. I remember I used to say that once my son was born. Oh, my job here on Earth is done. I've reproduced. There's nothing left for me to do. There's no more joy. And I think I actually slipped into that uh, mindset for a little bit, and I think it bothered me. I think it screwed me up a little bit terrible as as a man as a conscious man as well i mean if, if if you were a bigot and if i were a bigot we'd be really happy with the fact that like we have children and we can just you know disparage women and like keep them in the kitchen and like you know barefoot and pregnant is the way that it's supposed to be but like that paradigm is all but dead it's it's, it's totally dead in those who are actually looking at the real world so so i mean it, it it's it's definitely hurt me in the core as well like I have three children like I try and be a good male model to them but on the same hand like your children don't need you you know you're, you're in, in, in our past um, biological sense like you were saying like the parents may die like the parent dies and then the children are forced to live their life out without the male role model, without the female role model. Like that is the success of the genome. That is how any animal survives. I mean, many animals have their parents die at the moment of their birth and then have to live their life out anyway. So there's a certain kind of egotism which is tied to parenting and I think that as a, as a man that's a very realistic egotism that we need to at least at least acknowledge. I don't know if we can deal with it, but we can at least acknowledge it and bring it to light through the fact that it is part of our humanity. We have a question from a listener or a statement more. Have the best minds in science and inven inventions been men? Oh my God, please. So I think you're getting called out there a little bit, sir. Sure, I think I think it's undeniable that most men um, have built a lot of the great objects in this world, inanimate objects. But there, there, you know, I know with Einstein, his wife helped him codec his equations for, you know, his nuclear bombs and everything else that he brought into this world. I mean, shoot, I mean, they've they've said it since the beginning of time. Like behind every great man is a great woman. Part of what makes a man be able to go out there and charge in a society, and like this is even true, like back to you know uh, Roman times. Like if you're a soldier in a Roman army, certainly you're going to go out there and you're going to crush everything in front of you. But like the only reason you're going to do that is to make sure that you can go home to that woman that you love. 
So there, there's, there's certainly an object of understanding of who it is that you have behind you. And, and yes, like we as men, I as part of the man society, like most of the great gifts as far as scientific contribution have come from men who have their name written on the, uh, on the doctrine. But I have been a man for all of my life, and I will tell you that the emotional support that I have gained from the women who have, I have allowed trust have given me the strength to be able to keep pushing in the direction that I want. So, sure, most of our contributions scientifically have come from men, but you cannot, in the you cannot disseminate that from the fact that we need human connection and that human connection needs to come from somewhere. The Dr. Stephen Jay Gould, a Harvard anthropologist who died some six, seven, eight years ago, used to say that many scientists, the only reason why they studied mathematics and science and did inventions was to get a woman, to attract a woman, and it, which is very much like the hyper-masculine male would go out and perform incredible feats of strength to attract a woman. So I don't think whether you're an intellectual or you're a super-masculine caricature, the whole goal of life is to find a woman and reproduce. Now, Humans have free choice, so they, they don't have to go and do that, but that's instinctually what our bodies are designed to do. And if you can come up with some good thoughts, if you can, if you can help a newer generation grow up and create a moral or something like that, that, that's great. But at the end of the day, if you're looking at us from a mammalian uh, spectrum, we're just here to breed. Yeah, but I want to say something about love, you know, because I think that love really is the core of what inspires people like sure enough like we should be able to breed and reproduce but like the honest reality of why it is that people want to be together is because it's mutually fulfilling and my only definition for the concept of love is mutual fulfillment and whether that generates a child or not, like there are many couples, there are many happy people in the world who are not in a relationship based on the concept of copulation or generating a child, but through the fact that like people can have mutual respect for each other and raise each other up, you know, and and, and bring those people to their highest point of being. And that, for me, is the, the desire for cohabitation. If you want to cohabitate with an individual, it's because it makes you a better person. And if it is that that brings a child, wonderful. And, and be part of that. But you cannot remove uh, the biological function from the emotional function. And I think that's one of the big push from the female population to let us be included in what is happening because we cannot remove the intellect from the emotion. And as a humanity, men are very more, into, uh, I don't, I don't want to say intellectual, but much more, um, you know, right-brained. And women are much more left-brained. And so then you have 
a combination of the left brain and the right brain completing a whole brain. So there, there is a necessity. Yeah. Well, and I want to retract that entire statement. Yeah, to you can send your right hate mail to Dak Force at on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, no, no, go ahead and hate on me at Dak Force at Twitter because all of you who are in polyamorous relationships, um, all of you who uh, men love men and women love women, I do not hate on any of those things. I'm I'm just saying that there there is a certain amount of interplay between both sides of the spectrum and that even in all of the lesbian and um, homosexual relationships that I have friends that are in people still play either side of that role someone is dominant and someone is receptive someone is intellectual and someone is an emotional and that is an important part about any human exchange it doesn't have anything to do with being a man or a woman it has to do with that people find themselves more inclined to relate to certain parts of their humanity. And if that part is being emotional, or if that part is being aggressively destructive, like most of the men that I know, you know, someone has to, someone has to balance that scale out. And love, in my mind, is the opportunity to balance out the scale of your own personal proclivities. And I hope anyone out there finds that person that can balance out the other side of the person that they are, and that's love, man. And it doesn't matter if you're And I think that's where religion has... or what. I think that's where religion has come into men and women and transgendered people's lives is... I think it comforts them. I think the idea that there's a God out there that aspires you to be good can create a really meaningful bond for people. I don't personally understand it, but it makes sense to me intellectually how a human being could really devote their life to a concept of God. I have to admit that the term God makes me uncomfortable. Why? Like, whenever I hear that word, it makes me, like, kind of squiggle a little bit. So if I use the word Elohim or Yahweh or any of these other terms, it's the same, right? Or Jah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all, yeah. It's all no, I, I, know, I know what you're saying. Like, I'm not bilingual, but I'm sure I know what you're saying. No, but any of those words you're saying bother you. Well, it's not the words themselves that bother me. It's, it's, it's how we relate to them as people. And, you know, there, there's a certain problematic function in my own mind where if you can claim God it's like it, it's like you're saying you can't argue with me anymore like if God came to me and told me that like I needed to cook burritos tonight <laughs> I can't argue with you because God told you to cook burritos so I guess you're right and you just you know, you just imbued yourself with the most powerful statement that could ever be possibly said. God said I should murder my child on the mountaintop. So I took my child up there and I was ready to murder him. And that to me is a very uh, suspect opportunity for people to take control of their own mind. Like, I believe that our, our own mind, our brain, our neural process... That's God. 
Like, that's the closest to God you'll ever get. Like, your brain is God. And your job as a human being is to understand your connection to God, and that God is your own brain. And I don't care who wrote the book or who stood on the mountaintop and who Mount Sinai said to do this and how you built a great big ship and put all the animals on there or anything else. Our responsibility as conscious human beings is to our understanding of our own mind. And that mind is the... I mean, if you believe anything about God, God created your mind. And if he created your mind, you're responsible for everything that comes out of it and is processed by it. So if you were given the holy gift of having a mind, then you have to take control and responsibility for everything that happens because of your mind. I have and that, for me, is a concept that has been lost through religion. I have a question for you, and I'm not asking for a definitive answer because neither of us have it, and I don't think any, <laughs> any, no, anybody, but it's more of a concept. When a man or a woman kills another human being and they go to prison, and then 10, 15 years later, they become a, a born again, whether it's in a Muslim, a Christian, Jew, whatever it is. Do you believe that tale that that after you violently murder a human being, that you can find that God and peacefulness and that whole paradigm? Because I'm not sure I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do think you can. I, I really do. I, I do believe that because I believe that the power of the mind is so intrinsic in our consciousness that, like, you could be clueless. Like, you, you didn't know any better. Like, you didn't, you didn't know any better. Like, you could just walk around the world and shoot everybody that you see in the face and take all their money. And you shoot them in the face and you take all their money and you shoot them in the face and you take all their money. And then at a certain point, you sit back and you're like, wow, like, that was not the person I wanted to be. That was not the life that I wanted to lead. And so, sure, you can't be forgiven for what it is you've already done. Like, that's not the case. Like, I agree with you there. Like, you cannot take back what you have done with your life. But you can reshape the concept of your life in a way which moves you in a different direction. So you think that that's what the, the, the reborn nature is then? Is it, it helps you change your identity, helps you forget uh, that violent period? I can't accept the reborn nature. Like, I have to, I have to, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm saying that, like, this was something that I dealt with very heavily when I was in my undergraduate work with uh, the work of Desmond Tutu down in South Africa after the apartheid. Is they, they spoke about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, where people who had killed South American citizens under the guise of their ruler um, had the opportunity to walk up in front of a court and say, I apologize for killing your whole family. And I want to look you in the eyes and say, I apologize for killing your whole family. And then as far as Desmond Tutu was concerned and his connection with the Catholic Church, that was an exoneration 
from the atrocities that you had participated in. Personally, I don't agree with that. I don't care how much you look me in the eyes and say, I'm sorry that I killed all your family. You did actually kill all of my family. And I don't know how you can really forgive that. So the concept of forgiveness and the concept of its relation to what it is that you're physically responsible for doing is a very important and very necessary concept to look at. But it's one of those, I don't really know that I could forgive that. The country of Israel deals with that problem still because they're still aggressively pursuing criminals from the Nazi party from World War II. You know, and they'll be arresting people at 95, 96 year, years old, you know, guards. And they get a lot of feedback from the world saying, hey, let these old men go. And, you know, the, the, the country of Israel, the parliament will say, hey, no, the, these people killed thousands upon thousands of millions of people. There's no forgiveness. They need to be brought to justice to bring closure. It's a weird world that we live in that this stuff even goes on. Don't forget the fact that, like, the majority of the American um, medical understanding comes from seizing records from the uh, the German medical complex. I mean, most of what we understand about surgery comes from experimental surgery done on Jewish prisoners. In, and I know you know the name of this guy. I can't remember it right now, but he, he's the most famous German scientific oh, uh, no. medical person. Come on, you know this. You know, I'll have to I'll look him up right now. I, but anyway, what I'm saying is that on the, on the other end of that spectrum, the same thing is happening right now in Israel to the Palestinians. And so there's two sides of every coin, and that the the Jewish population was very uncomfortable with how it is that they were completely raped, pillaged, destroyed, and almost obliterated by the Germans. And on the same hand, they are actively participating in the rape, pillage, destruction, and complete obliteration of the Palestinian population. So we all, as humans, need to understand who it is that are the other side of the coin and who are the other people that we are trying to fight against as Americans we fight against well everyone the the Jews the Christians the blacks the natives the everyone who gets in our way we destroy and that is not an appropriate response to how it is that we as people move forward and how we look at each other as human beings and we need to have the capability to look another person in the eyes and say that you are still a person and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the uh the priesthood and their desire to be part of the mormon church because we are all human beings. We are all brilliant minds. We are all souls that desire to be better people. And if you're going to exclude someone who wants to be part of something and wants to push that thing in a good direction, we're all missing the boat. 
if anybody wants to be on your team, bring them on your team. Like, I want a bigger team. I want a bigger team. If anybody out here listening to the radio wants to be on this team, like, we are a good team because we love you, and we want you to be bigger than you can possibly be without us. We sure do. This is all you radio. We're, we're trying to grow up with our community. We're not trying to be outside of them. But with that, all you radio comes to an end. We had a fantastic time with the Ordained Women's Group, and we thank them very much. We thank uh, the Supreme Leader, Will Hatton, of KU Internet Radio, for coming in. Becca's a given. Thank you to her. Her, her mom's been pressuring her to ha- have a baby and get married. <laughs> we'll see how the feminist in her enjoys that one. <laughs> well, you graduated. Go have a baby. <laughs> oh, the struggles of life, huh? And, of course, thank you, Dakota. I appreciate you for coming in and joining us. Sasha Bloom, you are the seed of old you. You are like the flower. Bloom, Sasha Bloom, they say. <laughs> so don't forget that, my friends. And tune in next week for a little more of the bloom and the bloom and the bloom. And uh, to Keith, the chai DJ of U-Block Radio from 2 to 5 on Fridays, I apologize. I couldn't have you call in. We're at terminal velocity with some of our microphones here. So it just it's too unstable for a live show, sir. So get in studio if you want to say hello to old Ute Radio. You got feats. You can walk. Come on in. Bipedalin. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we popped a break. Thank you, people. We appreciate you. Sleep tight. Hug your cuties. Yes. The German radio has just announced that Hitler is dead. I'll repeat that. The German radio has just announced that Hitler is dead. We want one thing. We declare our right on this earth to be a man, to be a human being, to be respected as a human being, to be given the rights of a human being, in this society, on this earth, in this day, which we intend to bring into existence by any means necessary.